Hello and welcome to Dear Amelia, a podcast where I, a new father, have a series of conversations with friends on a whole range of topics, with the ultimate goal of presenting a collection of deeply personal thoughts for my daughter to listen to when she grows up. This is Benjamin Prabhu, and thank you for tuning in. Dear Amelia, you may have heard of the saying, home is where the heart is. And for a long time, your mom and I were trying to figure out where exactly our heart was. In the early years of our married life, we were living in central Pennsylvania in a tiny one bedroom apartment, talking about our dreams for the future and making plans. We wanted to find a city or town where we could settle down and start a family while making long-lasting friends and establishing our respective careers. Our most important requirement, though, was that it should neither be a huge city or a small town. We wanted to live in a place that matched our laid-back personalities, allowed us to enjoy nature, and having a bit of history to it. In that regard, Charles will fit the bill perfectly. We moved here in early 2019, not knowing anybody in town or how the new chapter of our life was going to pan out. Over the following months, we found ourselves a good church to be involved in, a cricket club for your dad to be part of, and good jobs with great co-workers who doubled as friends outside work as well. Your mom and I would have weekly date nights at Carter Mountain Orchard, watching the sunset and enjoying the scenic beauty of it all. We have walked hand in hand at the downtown mall, just enjoying each other's company and made plans to visit the various museums and historical landmarks in the region. We fell in love with the town and couldn't think of what would make it even better. Then along came you. Regardless of where you live right now, Charlottesville will always be the place where your story began. It will always be special to your parents and we couldn't have hoped for a better place or a community to raise you. It is my sincere hope that this town will always have a special place in your heart. In 2020, your mom and I found our heart, and in the process, we found our home. To talk about the city of Charlottesville, I needed someone appropriate to do it justice. Who better than someone who is from here, but has also lived in other places, to truly appreciate the uniqueness of this town? Rachel Lacey is not just a co-worker and friend, but she's also one of the more intelligent and thoughtful people I have met in my life. Here is Rachel and I talking about the different facets of Charlottesville and the ties that bind us to it. So Rachel, first of all, thank you for agreeing to do this podcast. I'm actually very excited about this. Um, Honestly, I could talk with you about any topic out there, but I decided to go with Charlottesville. Bring yourself in good old Seville. So how did you end up here? So I think it is kind of an interesting topic because, and so I was born here, um, and then my parents divorced pretty soon after I was born, actually. And so my mom ended up Um, after the divorce, marrying 
and like falling in love with and all those other wonderful things with my dad, George, Mm -hmm. and they had my brother. And so my brother and I are like 25 months apart. Um, Mm -hmm. um, And my sister and I are 19 months apart. So my mom all of a sudden had three kids under three and her partner, my dad, George, um, said, I'm leaving Charlottesville and I'm going to start a nonprofit from scratch in DC. And so was the agreement. So I grew up in Charlottesville to a certain degree, but it wasn't my primary home and unit always there. And then we ended up moving to a place called the Plains, Virginia, which is a very small town in Northern Virginia. It's got about 50 people in it. Uh, All 50? Five zero? Five zero. Um, So it's out in the country. It doesn't even have a stoplight in the town. Um, So we had this big swath of land and we ran around and my parents did edible landscaping. And so we like, like I was like running around barefoot on a gravel road. And then I would come here to Charlottesville or we'd go into DC where we used to live. And so I really split my time between those two places. And I didn't even consider when I was going to and applying to colleges, I did not apply to a single college. And it wasn't something that I was even thinking about doing. And if you had asked me when I was 18, would I ever be living long-term in Charlottesville, I would have told you no way. Hmm. And so then I ended up moving down to New Orleans and I lived there for seven to eight years depending on how you're counting and I met Robert there um and he and I we actually connected because we both were quote unquote from Charlottesville though I've always struggled with this idea of being from Charlottesville because I I don't necessarily identify that way um and I had a really sheltered experience of Charlottesville turn around like my dad and my dad's um life at the time so my biological dad's been married multiple times so like with each wife there was sort of a different section of Charlottesville that we would start to explore but he's had this house that we currently live in for a long period of time um probably for at least 20 years um and he's had his shop for my entire life um and so we used to live in that shop we lived here and depending he always kept this house even when he was married to to one of his wives and so um, Robert graduated from school. I was still living in New Orleans. I still had a year to go. He moved back to Charlottesville for a year. At, we did long distance and then he moved back to New Orleans to be with me. And we developed this really beautiful, wonderful life and family and culture down in New Orleans. But it was starting to, we kind of felt like we were outgrowing it, like the opportunities that were there. And when I graduated with my master's, they had just like, cut a bunch of the budgets in New Orleans for all the public health work and it was really difficult to get a job and we were trying to think of all these different places that we could live and um, Robert really really wanted to move back to Charlottesville and feel like supported by his family I mean my mother-in-law lives here my parents are an hour and a half away my brother's up in Rockville really close Um, my biological dad lives here with his wife and so I was not really sure about it, but it also made the most like financial sense. And um, I was applying for jobs in Virginia anyway, but we were considering, I mean, I was being, I was flying out to California for job interviews, just flying out to Oregon for job interviews. And we said, okay, we'll still keep on applying, but at least if we move back, we can have a little bit more ease of support. Um, when we lived in Charlottesville and home, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't say that I would think of Charlottesville as a home until about sometime last year. Where in the process of us moving, we were also planning a wedding. 
right. I was taking classes and I was starting a new job and we were fixing up this house because this house had been in a state of disarray because um, for a long litany of reasons, but it, where we are fixing it up in exchange for living in it. So we, we sanded floors and painted and we, we plastered walls and did all this work. Uh, it was a process of also me getting married and being married to Robert. And I kept on saying to him, do you know we're a family? And he was like, yes, I know. I was like, but we are a family. The two of us are a family. And he was like, I know. Yeah. Um, and so it was, wasn't until I sort of started to feel like I, as you know, I'm directionally challenged, was like able to kind of give people directions and um, really feel like I had a sense of community in my neighborhood and, and in Charlottesville and a sense of people that I felt connected to because my main, you know, group of friends was all in Northern Virginia or in New Orleans. And so we kind of, we had family here, but we were starting fresh. It, it, it wasn't until I started to feel like I really did decide to put down roots here and we said, okay, Robert's got into grad school. Like we're going to be here for a certain period of time. And now he has a job and like those kind of things that allowed us to sort of say like, no, we're going to make this a home. So that's how I ended up here. A couple of interesting things there because I'm surprised when you said that you struggled to kind of accept that you're from Charlottesville, right? You're born mm -hmm. here and then you're away for a bit and now you're back. And, and, and like I said, you know, I was going to ask you like, when did you truly feel like this is your home now? It, it, does it still feel like, you know, there are days when you still struggle to think that this is your home? Like this is like you have yeah. come home. Yeah, I would say it is because I, it was a really interesting experience to create a life really independent mm -hmm. of my family and of any of the connections that I have here. I mean, like literally if I have a plumbing issue, I call my dad and then he's like, I got a guy. And then like a guy right. comes out because he owes my dad a favor. And he's like, I held you when you were a baby and I'm going to help you with this thing. And it, isn't that like uh, somewhat reflective of where we live? Because you lived in New Orleans, but can you say the same, like, New Orleans is a much bigger city, while Charlottesville is a, more of a small town, so you, you know more people, and you know people who know people, you know, it is more of a community vibe compared to, like, bigger cities? I would say New Orleans is really unique in that, like, each neighborhood in New Orleans, so there's, like, it, like it's similar to what I would say, like, the borough system in New York, though I've never lived in New York, mm -hmm. like, there are certain neighborhoods, like, I lived in Hollygrove, and literally everyone on ho in the area in Hollygrove like knew who I was, knew who Robert was. There was like a barbershop on the corner. Mr. Chill made sure everyone knew everyone. Like if you needed to borrow sugar, you could borrow sugar. Like, um, and every neighborhood we lived in had its own version of that. I would say that the the um, the neighborliness is different here in Charlottesville than it is, say, in New Orleans. Like when I was growing up, if a new person moved into a neighborhood here, like people would like bake you brownies and bring it over, which I was like all excited when I got my first house in New Orleans. I was like, oh, I'm gonna get so many baked goods. And then like no baked goods came, <laughs> but that was okay. It was also a, like a really growing experience for me to live in a place that was very culturally diverse and unique. Um, but New Orleans is incredibly neighborly city and an incredibly friendly city. Right. Um, and so I think it's a little different in terms of, of that. Um, but like DC's not like that. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, I mean, I, 
I've lived in quite a few places, including different countries, uh, but probably the best example for me would be when I lived in Pittsburgh, you know, for many years, and I, I draw a direct contrast between life there, you know, a big city, uh, and right here in Charlottesville, which to this day, I still feel it's really a small town. You know, it's a college town, it's a small town, and most people, most businesses, like, you, you go there frequently, you meet people more and more, the same people again and again, and that's what builds up that community vibe. And I don't think there's any, um, you know, anything that says that one type of city is better than the other. I think it's just different sides of this Americana kind of, you know, the dream that people have. What is the American dream? Well, I think um, it's like values, right? It's like, what do you value? And there's not a value system in terms of good or bad, but like the way that you want to interact with people. Like I know some people that find it incredibly intrusive to like, like I know all my farmers. Yeah. I know the names of their dogs. I know if they have children. <laughs> like we have lots of conversations. Well, that's also about I'm, the kind of person you are. You know, it's not necessarily just the place. But I also know some people and to a certain degree, I'm married to one who like, per, like enjoys some version of anonymity and like not being, um, you know, I mean, Robert's an interesting mixture of everything, which I think everyone is, but to some degree, he likes just being able to like quietly go about his business. Right. Um, and he likes engaging with people, but he likes engaging with people with depth. But I mean, we go to places and people like I've been at yoga classes and like run into like my dad's ex-girlfriend <laughs> or, you know, like it's just, and they're like, Oh my God, I can't believe you're so big. And, you know, I, I it, to some degree, this is a really small town and people know each other. And because we have two sets of families town, we right. know a lot of people. And because of the job that we work at also, we see a huge amount of people especially because I work in the high-risk clinics, I see a lot of the like people that live here. Um, and so I run into patients a lot. And um, I don't think I would necessarily do that as much if I lived in a place like New York, if it's a bigger town. It is a small town. Right. I mean, you can get across Charlottesville essentially in like 20 minutes. Oh yeah, I discovered that. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, I think that's what I like the most uh, about Charlottesville. In fact, what me and Abigail like about it because we've lived uh, a couple of places before we moved here and it's it suits our personality is how I would best you know describe it uh, because we both are not fans of living in big cities and we we want that sense of community you know where we live but we want to like know people uh, that we can not just rely on or depend on but just we want people around us uh, that we can grow with, you know, like mm -hmm. grow, like families grow with. And uh, that's what really attracted us to this place uh, in, in, in the first place. And, you know, in the last couple of years, that what, what that's what we are discovering. Like, you know, uh, with time compared to most other places where you can almost get fatigued or kind of tired and you kind of want to move out, uh, that has not happened to us. And we like continue to enjoy uh, this place and it kind of just suits us. And I feel like a lot of people may, may not share that sentiment necessarily, but that's also kind of, you know, the, the, the kind of people they are. So for example, my sister and brother-in-law, they love New York City. I feel like they would get bored of Charlottesville if they stayed here for like longer than three days because they need a lot of 
activity, you know, the mm -hmm. size, the sounds and all of that. Whereas for me and Abigail, this is perfect. There's, you know, a lot of just, you know, nature is just like perfect out here. There's like trails, there's like, uh, we like going to like museums and stuff. So it's like perfect. So for us- Well, and now that you have a baby, yes. you guys, it's only, it's like a short ride. Like, you know, I just say like, it's a small town. Right. And, and it's a college town, but there's a large amount of like, it's a big college. It's like a right. big college. And so there's huge draw to have really interesting intellectual stimulation here. I mean, we get amazing lecturers. There's this thing called creative mornings. Like we had like a whole TED series here in Charlottesville. Hmm. Um, okay. There's like uh, this thing called like it's like a, some kind of big book festival that I don't remember what it's called, but it like takes over the downtown mall and they give out free children's books and free books. And they have all these authors come in and do lectures and they have a film festival. Like there's a lot of culture in the town, but also you're two hours away from DC. Right. Yeah. Location. And there's free Perfect. museums mm -hmm. and there's wolf trap. Like we drove in for an evening last summer for wolf and listened to um, some amazing like we listened to Herbie Hancock and someone else and actually I liked the band beforehand but I can't remember the guy's name um, but he's an amazing saxophone player and I typically don't like the saxophone um, at Wolf Trap and you can bring a bottle of wine and bring your kids and have a picnic on the Wolf Trap lawn and listen to music and there's other kids to play and there's like the same with like the the race track in Charlottesville and so I was wondering right. is that like part of why you guys decided to start a family here? Like what made you guys decide to start a family here? Well, I think that was not necessarily related to Charlottesville. We were always waiting for, so so if you, you know, you, you met Abigail, so you know a little bit about her uh, and you know me, we're, we like to kind of plan out our lives. You know, we're not very instinctive people. We don't just do it something on a, on a whim. We really think, we really talk it out, we really plan it. And for us, it was always about reaching a place where we felt like, okay, we are ready now to start life. And I guess all those roads eventually led to Charlottesville because uh, for me, it was about making sure I was in a stable job um, where I can like provide for my family, you know, provide for my wife, provide for my kids. And so after I started my present position, uh, that was when we finally were like, okay, I think we are ready now. So I think it probably played a small part. It was not necessarily like a major, uh, the Charlottesville itself was not a major part of like uh, the decision to start the family, but it helped. It definitely helped for sure. We were like, okay, we are in jobs that we both like. We are in a city that we can finally, you know, call home, you know, where we can finally like plant our roots and we can start a family here. And so it was all like a perfect storm um, family, so. Do you feel like having a child is making you want to explore Charlottesville more? Funnily enough, yes. But I also wonder how much of it is, is contributed by the, uh, you know, the times <laughs> that we're living in. <laughs> because the more that we are required to stay indoors, the more we actually want to go out. Uh, but, you know, like I mentioned to you once before, one of the reasons that we really like Charlottesville when we moved was you know, we, we love nature and we love museums and you're like, this is the perfect place then, right? So we want to like explore, the, you know, not just Charlottesville, but like the surrounding, you know, places. And we only done like a fraction of the stuff that we wanted to. So 
as it is, I feel like we are, uh, we still have a lot of catching up to do in terms of places that we want to explore here. And yes, now that we have a baby and we are also required to like really kind of confine ourselves to our home as much as possible. I think that itch is there to really want to explore. Um, I think a year and a half actually now. Um, no, you know, I, I was just thinking like the ideal profile of a person from Charlottesville or someone who lives here is, you know, someone who loves the outdoors, you know, someone who loves their running, their hiking, uh, very dog friendly. Um, yes, aggressively dog friendly. <laughs> aggressively dog friendly, and and if you have a taste for history and arts, you know it, it's a great place. I mean, if you are looking for New York City or LA experience, you're going to be disappointed. It's not that kind of town. Um, mm -hmm. But for everything else, it's got it's got a little bit of something for everybody. Would you agree? Yeah, I would. I would say that it's like a very outdoor focused town. Um, right. And so if you're like someone that enjoys air conditioning, there's definitely places that are air conditioned. But right. at least when I have people come and visit, like I struggle finding activities that are air conditioned <laughs> to do right. or that air because I'm so outdoor focused. Um, and it, Charlottesville is an area that I feel like has um, like an like a interesting history that it's starting to really reckon with. Um, of inequity and but it also has like a, a large amount of room for creative growth um, okay. and, and an appreciation for the arts like we have local artists in our house of paintings um, and like there's this artist his name is Edward Thomas and we have him in the house and he paints scenes of Charlottesville and he's friends with my dad and they okay. he trades paintings for scrap metal to my dad <laughs> Interesting. And he's a really well, like, respected, like, his art is hanging in the hospital. Oh, okay. But it's like, there's this somewhat real and then at times somewhat performative aspect of, like, a lack of pretension in Charlottesville mm -hmm. that, like, like to me, like, Ed is incredibly non-pretentious. He actually looks homeless. And then, you know, his art's hanging in the hospital. But then there's some right. people who think others respect that pretend to not be pretentious, but actually are, that are in Charlottesville. But in general, I think the, the people here are really nice. They're very uh, liberal in their views, and the city focuses on, I mean, there are master gardeners that do the Ix Park, you know, and um, they have, like, a, not ever, I lived in a place that didn't have money for functional sidewalks, let alone having, like, multiple gardeners on staff per park. UVA has 10 full-time arborists on staff. Like okay. that's, you know, people like the outdoors here and they like it to look a certain way. Right. I mean, it is a pretty town, no doubt about it. It's mm -hmm. a pretty place. And I feel like even if you don't have any intentions of living in Charlottesville, it's always, I would, I always recommend it to family and friends. Like, you know, do visit mm -hmm. us, you know, if not for us, you know, you will still like this place. Uh, it's really pretty and it's got something for everyone. Uh, now, you know, when we were first talking about setting up a time to have this conversation, um, we were wondering if we should bring up the elephant in the room. And we were kind of talking about, you know, uh, deciding not to do it. But guess what? I am going to bring it up because, uh, you know, obviously when people hear the name Charlottesville, you know, I've had one of two responses when I tell people that I live uh, here, they ask, wait, is that the one in North Carolina? Because they're thinking of Charlotte. Or they'll be like, is that where the riots happened? So 
obviously Charlottesville was in the news recently because a few years ago, uh, you know, there was this white nationalist rally that ended in violence and it really became a symbol of the turbulent times that we live in, right? And I now I don't I don't think I'm qualified to talk about race in America, but I do want to talk about the aftermath, you know, the way that people rally, the way the people just came together. Uh, I see, you know, how the small businesses out in the community, like just stressing unity, like coming together. Now, as someone who lived during that time, because this happened a couple of years before we came here, uh, but as someone who lived here during that time when Charles will hit both national and international headlines, like uh, what, what do you think of the things that have happened since then, you know, the way the community has come together and, uh, how have you seen that in action, essentially? Well, I think that um, it was an it's, it's it was an incredibly upsetting thing to live through. Um, like the weird thing about that time is, like I remember, we also on that day had to get like a really important piece of mail out okay. into a post office, mm-hmm. and all the post offices were closed that day, and literally any of the like blue mailboxes by our house they were locked shut because of like a fear of a bomb being put into it. And so we had to like drive across town Mm -hmm. to put this piece of mail in. And I'm wary of protests because I lived in New Orleans and large crowds of people tended to have cars driven into them. And I basically, and I like incredibly supportive of the, the, the movement that's going on now with making sure that everyone in the United States actually has equal opportunity and equal treatment. And um, the the way that it was for me to live through it was just really disheartening um, to see UVA's campus uh, filled with tiki torches and men screaming out really abhorrent beliefs to me. So they marched through the UVA campus? So what happened was there was first, there was this sort of demonstration of these white nationalists who marked marched through UVA's campus with tiki torches um, the night before. And then the next day, there was a peaceful protest that was anti-white nationalist, anti-racist, that then people came and turned into a violent protest. Um, And then that's what made the big news. But the night before, there had been this converging at UVA of these white nationalists with tiki torches, which was incredibly upsetting. And then the, the the peaceful protest led by intellectuals in the community and churches in the community and people in the community that were appalled by the behavior, um, including not just Heather Heyer, but the the other people that um, were injured and hurt that don't get talked about as much um, by the car driving through. They were doing a peaceful protest and people got injured and got killed and they ended up catching the guy right by our house. and so seeing that car get caught by the police officers and it was a really upsetting time. And I think it was a time for Charlottesville to think about the way that it's decided to kind of gloss over its history, um, which I appreciated. It makes me sad that the statue's still up. Um, and for a long time, it was just covered with like a black trash bag. Okay. <laughs> and I, we, I mean, I lived, I used to bike by it almost every day. Um, and it's a nice park, (laughs) but it is really always confusing. It's always confused me as a person that has like studied history, why we have these kind of 
monuments to Confederate generals up. Um, I wish that I saw more action from Charlottesville personally in the way that they handled it um, and handle what's going on even now in the news. I'm glad that uh, the protests currently have all been releaseful. Um, the guy that organized the UVA Tiki Torch thing, I mean, it was interesting. He lives in like a wealthy part of Charlottesville. He's a UVA grad. And I think it really made a lot of people in Charlottesville, like neighbors of him, think like, how does someone have such different views than I do? Because I mean, Charlottesville is somewhat of an aggressively liberal town. Like it's covered in bumper stickers that like coexist and mm-hmm. all these other Seen things. But, yeah, but people don't necessarily think about the way that their own actions um, perpetuate inequalities. And um, there are things like, like my dad's barber shop that he goes to. I used to go there as a kid and they would talk about like, oh yeah, like my ancestors worked at Monticello and no one's talking about that. You know, like I'm here working a low paying job and, you know, I stare up at Monticello and that was before Monticello started to incorporate in UVA. I mean, UVA only really recently started to incorporate Um, they uncovered that slave house and now it's on campus. And so I think it's, it's something that I know I've looked at personally where like, I've never considered myself from the South. Um, And I moved to New Orleans and people like, there was this funny moment where we were doing some sort of ice breaking exercise and they're like, everyone from the South jump in the center of this circle. And I just like stood there. And then like someone who knew me was like, aren't you from Virginia? Yeah, and I was like, yeah, but like the part of Virginia I'm from is like not really the South. <laughs> they were like, no, get in the middle of this circle. It's below the Mason-Dixon line. Like you can't right. pretend. And so it was this moment where I started to think about, and then, you know, with the, the white national rights and then what's going on in the news now, it makes you sort of think about like, how do I perpetuate these systems and how do I just kind of let it gloss over me where I don't have to think about my own parts of that. Um, so it was a weird thing to live through and I think that there's progress that's been made because I don't think that what's happening now would be happening in the same way if it if Charlottesville hadn't happened like both in Charlottesville and nationally because Charlottesville became this like tiny town that was making huge headlines for a reason that was really upsetting I it upset a lot of people I think in the town that um, a lot of people traveled from other places into Charlottesville and then caused the problem and then left that caused the problem but yeah you know robert's a therapist and one of the things i like to say is uh there isn't you have to have a hook to hang it on and so like there was a hook to hang it on here it's part of why they were it was picked as a place and it's it's kind of unfortunate uh that somehow history we always say history repeats itself it's it's almost like in a span of three years it's repeating again um and incidentally we are speaking on juneteenth you know, mm-hmm. and we are still, as as a country, we're still dealing with these things, and and somehow Charlottesville was, uh, you know, like when it, when this happened, it kind of ignited the whole discussion, you know, about race in America, and uh, of course now we're dealing with similar issues um, uh, all over again, but still related to race. Um, but overall, the sense that I got as someone who came in here and just interacting with people in the community is a sense of most people, like like in most places, of course, but still as a city which dealt with these sad scenes, uh, a lot of people go out of their way, a lot of businesses are going out of their way to make sure uh, they are in, 
very inclusive, right? They're not trying to divide. Uh, they're not trying to be divisive, and they want to make sure everyone gets along. It's a very simplistic way of putting it, but I I think that is a good sign, and I think that's also a good model for other places too. You know, in in the country that are torn by divisions in the community. Um, so. I, I do appreciate your view on it that I feel like Charles probably has a lot more to do in that regard. Um, but again, it's I think three. it tries, you know, it, it, and I think that's yeah. a good thing. Just because you try doesn't mean you're successful. And I think, right. I think that you shouldn't get penalized for trying. You should be encouraged for trying. And it's an ongoing effort. You know, there's no quick fixes. And, you know, we are talking even on a personal level, just for the people that we know, people that we meet uh, day to day, like even in the clinics and stuff. Uh, it's just, uh, it has to be an ongoing effort. It has to be a daily effort. And my hope is that while it, Charles was in the news for all the wrong reasons a few years ago, that going forward, it can be a model for what we can do better. Mm-hmm. And really, I that agree. is my hope. So, now I don't want to end this conversation without on racism. <laughs> definitely not on that. <laughs> but also, I don't want to end without talking about the link between us, which we referred to quite a few times already in this conversation. UVA, uh, for those not too familiar with it, that is the University of Virginia here, and of course, UVA is such a huge part of what Charles was all about, and we work in. Uh, clinical research here. Now, to a casual observer, uh, how would you explain the nature of our job? Like, you know, uh, why is it so important to the field of medicine and the community in general? So clinical research is how we have every single medical treatment and way that uh, doctors interact with patients. And it's also the way that we've improved medicine and the way that doctors interact with patients. And historically, uh, just like everything, we're like in this wonderful place now where the the ability to do good work and good research is more accessible than ever. Um, and so our job is sort of like, I, I think of it like a translator between or an interpreter between people. So we get to work with the lab technicians and like the translational science and work with uh, people who are doing sort of what people think of when they think of, of quote quote unquote science, like beakers and test tubes and centrifuges. We get to work with them. We work with the doctors. We work with the pharmaceutical companies or the small sponsors who develop these new novel treatments or novel ways of like understanding cancer or medicine as a whole. Right. Um, And we work with the patients. And so it's sort of like, um, I think of it as a gatherer of all this different information. And then we help make sure that it's accessible and understandable to everyone that's around us. And then it's participatory. The I have a public health degree. And so it, it informs the way that I think about research, but there is no one person that's going to know the, the correct answer to everything. And so to have right. more people who are involved in the issue, like, giving their feedback, giving their participation, and in terms of our patients, giving their lives and giving their bodies um, up to sort of help people out in the future. And it's a really, we have a unique position because there are healthy subject research that's completely different from what you and I do because we work in cancer, because we work in in a field of cancer that has a very high mortality rate. Um, Our patients die on us and that sort of gives a different perspective both to the patients because they 
whether or not their doctor talks to them about it, they do their research and they look things up and there's Dr. Google and they realize that this is a really difficult disease. Um, even the more approachable ones like endometrial cancer or cervical cancer, um, while we have good screening and detection for those, if they get advanced, they're, they're hard to treat. And with ovarian cancer, it's very hard to detect for people that aren't, um, that are not boned up on ovarian cancer. Um, it's very difficult to detect, so it's caught mainly late stage. And it's, right. it's um, something where I think that our patients and a, a cancer diagnosis in general gives people a perspective where they go, oh, I don't want anyone else to have to go through this. This is hard. And so it's a really nice ability to translate both the intellectual st stimulation of trying to learn something new and the the caregiving aspect of the job, which is treating patients and making sure that everyone's taken care of. And for me, that involves not just translating the protocol, but like I spent 30 minutes today figuring out if the wig shop was open at UVA so that the patient could get a wig when she was here and right. she hasn't even started treatment yet. It's like taking care of the whole patient is important uh, to me. And um, I don't know, how, how do you feel like this job um, how would you, how do you explain it to people? How do you feel like this job has affected you and your view of Pretty UVA? much, pretty similar to what you said, but probably not as in many sentences as you did. <laughs> <laughs> probably would be a much shorter explanation. Um, you know, I, we should believe... say that next time we co-consider patients. They're like, do you want the short version as bad? Do you want the long, <laughs> long version as Pretty much. You know, I, even people ask what I do, I'm like, yeah, I work in clinical research. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, so what, what do you do? I'm like, and, but, you know, some of the things that you mentioned, like pretty much, you know, you know like uh, it research in general, like as we are seeing right now, you know, during this pandemic, you know, we're trying to figure out, we are trying to understand COVID-19. We're trying to understand what is the best kind of treatment, what, would, what kind of vaccine would work. And it's kind of similar, you know, we are trialing different types of not necessarily just medications but even other kinds of therapies that work for cancer and in our case specifically you know for ovarian cancers or uterine cancers uh, and we are essentially coordinating the research activities on behalf of the physicians or on behalf of the sponsors who provide these experimental medications and you know, we, uh, but it's more patient facing. So it's not just uh, sitting in a lab somewhere with test tubes and beakers, but we, you know, we are out there interacting with our patients day-to-day -day basis, trying to figure out who would work best, you know, for what trial. And, you know, we have to keep the patient in mind as well. It's not just a random number to us. It's not just a random case. These are actual people with dreams of their own, you know, people who want to live long enough to see their grandkids graduate or, you know, get married, stuff like that. So we, we are the ones who are kind of interfacing with the patients and trying to make that happen, trying to find something uh, not just for the patient, but also eventually will benefit a larger um, subset of population. So that is the way I explain it. So See, that's a good explanation. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, I, I absolutely enjoy, you know, the job that I do. And, you know, it's obviously for me, it's associated with where I live. And, you know, for Amelia, uh, 
when she, when she listens to it, if she decides to listen to it, by the way. Um, you know, I want her to know this She's moment She's definitely going to listen to this at some point. Like, are, is she going to listen to it when you want her to listen to it? No. Probably but. Yeah. But I want her to, like, understand, trying to, try to get her the complete picture of this moment in time, you know, during the time or during the year that she was born, where I was, what I was doing, and I wanted to, like, understand that. And for me, as much as Charlottesville is a place where we decided to set roots and start a family, it's also where I found my passion, like, you know, in, in research. After years of, like, you know, trying out different things, uh, but wanting to work in healthcare, eventually settling on research and cancer research in particular. So for me, it's always going to be linked, you know, what I, what, I, what I do and where I live. So for me, as the job and UVA is as uh, a part of Charlottesville as anything else. So. Uh, well, and I never grew up knowing anyone that does this job. Right. I never grew up knowing that this was even an option. You know, and so I tell like when we have all these interns come in, you know, that are undergraduate students, I'm like, this is an option for you. Yeah. Like everyone thinks that the option is just like nurse, doctor, PA, right. or a nurse practitioner, and that's the only. These are thing not the kind do. of jobs that you'll see in movies and TV shows. So. No, because it would be really boring. There's a <laughs> lot of true. talk about like bowel movements. Yeah. <laughs> all the attractive about. stuff. There's so. a lot of sketch. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of mundane stuff, but the things that keep the wheels moving in terms of advancement in medicine, you know. The, I know. You don't I, think, you don't realize how much people have power. Um, if I can say it myself, we're like the unsung heroes, if no one else will say it. So. No, I agree with you. I mean, there. Uh, so right when the pandemic hit, uh, one of Dr. Duska's colleagues, um, and she's the PI of one of my studies, Dr. Sikord gave a lecture at this virtual conference that was supposed to be non-virtual. And she touched on the fact that she said, you cannot do clinical research and you cannot advance medicine and you cannot take care of your patients without research coordinators. Right. And so if you don't take care of your staff, if you don't protect them, then you can't take care of your patients. Right. Very right. True. I mean, old style, like if you look back at like the way research used to be conducted, the doctor used to just be like, hey, you're on my study or they wouldn't even tell you. And they would like, quote unquote, do all the work themselves. And it was super unethical and it wasn't right. And it was, and now we have all these things in place that make it harder in some ways to do research, but also safer and better. And, right. but it also involves people with the specialized skill set. Absolutely. I'm very interested to see how it evolves over time and in the next few decades as well, with all the advancements mm -hmm. in other parts of medicine and research. Um, I'm curious to see how it'll evolve over time. Um, <laughs> but Rachel, I want to thank you so much for your time. Um, you know, obviously, uh, like I said, uh, as much as work is for me, like the research position that I have here is associated or linked with Charlottesville. Um, I think you are in my mind too linked with Charlottesville because you're definitely one of the more interesting people that I've met in my life. And I definitely want to have this conversation I'm also probably you. one of the loudest. I'm also probably one of the most talkative. <laughs> I know that I got lots of uh, things to talk about over the course of this conversation, but I feel like we touched on a lot of stuff, you know, not just the city, but kind of the things that put it in the headlines, um, mm -hmm. you know, for different reasons. But uh, 
I do appreciate your time and I really hope that for people listening, uh, including Amelia, that um, at least for the year 2020, they got a sense of what Charlottesville is and was. And, you know, I, I don't know how Charlottesville is going to change in the next 20, 30 years. Uh, I hope it's for the best. Um, but it is a great place to live. It's got some great people. It's got some great institutions. And um, I would highly recommend it to people. Yeah. And I so. expect to see you and Abigail and Amelia at the Ix Park. And we'll do a picnic on a day that there wasn't, <laughs> isn't one. And Sounds... we'll bring the famous Caroline. Absolutely. Sounds good to me. <laughs> well, that's it for this episode of Dear Amelia. Thank you for listening, and tune in next time as I talk to a trusted friend about the role of fate in our lives. Till then, this is Benjamin Prabhu signing off. And Amelia, thank you for making this town even more special for your parents, your number one fan, Dad. <laughs> <laughs>